You're listening to sermon audio from Gospelite Baptist Church. For more resources or to donate to this ministry, please visit gospelite.org. Turning your Bibles to Ephesians 4, we are in the center of a, uh, in the middle of a series about convictions. We're right in the middle of the series. We're on sermon number four. Uh, we've already discussed about having a conviction about neutrality in our lives. We want to move away from neutrality and become strong in, in areas of our lives that are incredibly important. We talked about being convicted about change, how we're in this process that Jesus is making us every single day, every hour, every moment more like his son Jesus, and we need to be convicted about that change and yield to that. Last week we discussed being convicted about speech and determining that we are not going to excuse our speech when it grieves the Holy Spirit, period. And we're we're convicted about this. We're serious about it. And today we want to talk about being convicted about forgiveness. And what I'd like to do is connect the speech and the forgiveness, because that's really what the text does. And I want to stay true to the text. So look at Ephesians 4. If you want to look on the screen, you can. It's even better if you've got a copy to look at right on your lap. So let's start with some review reading here. Verse 25. Remember this? Remember this. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak. Speak the truth with his neighbor. For we are members one of another. Be angry. Do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger give no opportunity to the devil let the thief no longer steal but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth but only such as is good for building up as it fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, let all anger, clamor, let let all slander be put away from you. and, and, And also let all malice be put away from you. Be kind to one another. Instead, be tenderhearted to one another, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, verse 1, chapter 5, be imitators of God as beloved children. Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. Now, church, one more time, Ephesians 4, 31, our text. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander, let all of those those things be put away from you and almost as if Paul wanted to make sure we understood how important it is to put all these things away he said oh yeah one more thing and malice as well and replace all of that with this be kind be tenderhearted be forgiving remember Christ forgave you forgiving one another wow forgiving forgiving one another. You know, as I look back over 28 years at Gospel Light, I was able to identify in the vicinity of 22 times, or 21 times, this would be 22, where I have preached on the subject of forgiveness. Probably several of those messages came from this text, others from other texts, because there's so much in Scripture about forgiveness, but never Never have I felt so convicted to forgive than I do this morning. It seems as if this, the day that we're living in, the times we're living in, the conversations I'm having with people, the depth of understanding I have of the damage of bitterness and anger and wrath and clamor and slander and malice and what it results in and how I see it tear apart marriages, tear apart churches, tear apart futures... I am am more than just preaching on forgiveness. I'm asking you to be convicted about it. To have a conviction about forgiving. We need to have a conviction about this. The question is not, has anyone ever hurt you, right? 
I mean, we all have been hurt. That's not the question. And I'm not by any means belittling the hurt that we've experienced. The question is not, has anything ever happened to you? As often I've said, life is not fair and people are cruel. The goal today is this, that you would make a decision about, that you would be convicted about forgiveness. And that you would understand that I'm not asking you to do this alone because you cannot. I can't. And that's the beauty of this message, is that I cannot forgive without God's help. Only God can help me to truly forgive and release someone and become someone who can be kind and tenderhearted and forgiving. So with that being said, since only God can help us, we probably should ask him to help us right now. So one more time, can we make this a house of prayer? All right. Father, God, we come to you and we just ask you to help us because these messages on conviction have been challenging. They've been challenging for me to preach, my wife and I, to talk about. Lord, we far too often just have heard these messages, 21, 21 sermons. But we're not changed. And we still harbor some bitterness and anger and frustration. And maybe it's because, God, we've not allowed our lives to be molded and yielded by your Holy Spirit that we would actually determine to be convicted about it. That it would be something that is non-negotiable in my life. When I'm hurt, I have a conviction about forgiveness. Do that in my life this morning. Do that in our lives this morning. May we leave this place changed by the Holy Spirit. We grant you that access to our lives. Touch us in a tangible way. In Jesus' name, amen. Ephesians 4.31, one more time, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. Let's begin with this thought, because this passage is less about understanding it and more about choosing to obey it. Because I don't know that I understand everything about just forgiveness, but I do know this, I need to decide to do it. So, number one, number one, let's begin with this. Let's connect it with the text. The root, the root of destructive speech is unforgiveness. The text is speaking in beginning in verse 1 and then, or rather beginning in verse 24, 25 and ending in verse 31. It's speaking about all of these damaging emotions that come oftentimes as a result of how we speak to people. And if you were to picture today a tree... That was rotten and leaning and ugly and dead and just this terrible. If you were to look at the, the trunk of that tree and you could trace the roots of that tree to the different reasons as to why it's in such bad shape, one of those roots would lead to the sin of unforgiveness. Last week we talked about being convicted about our speech. We, we determined as a church family, and I know that it's working because I've had many of you respond. I know my wife and I have responded to the conviction of that I will not excuse my speech any longer when it grieves the Holy Spirit. When I'm convicted by the Holy Spirit about what I say, I will not excuse it as no big deal. I will get it right. I'll not let the sun go down upon my wrath. We, we determined to be convicted about that, and yet we understand now that it requires forgiveness. And so let's begin with the definition of unforgiveness. What is unforgiveness? It is a refusal. It is a choice to set someone free from the obligation which resulted from their having hurt you, which has happened to all of us in different ways, from different people in different settings. For instance, maybe it's the person at work. The person at work that is always giving you a hard time. They just seem to always kind of lean into you and, 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 and they've gossiped about you and criticized and, and you've tried to get along, but it just, it just, it, you're, you're done with it. You're through. You've reached your, your limit of, of forgiveness, if you will. And, or maybe it's that neighbor. You know, okay, your lawn doesn't look as good as their lawn, but you're just sick and tired of the dirty looks. 
You know, you, you, your trash is not always perfect or your, 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 your landscaping isn't the best or, you know, you don't always park where they want you. I mean, whatever it is. And for whatever reason, you, you used to look at them as a good neighbor, but things have just gotten tough lately. And, or, or maybe it's that fellow Christian that you go to church with. I mean, they're in the building. They're just not sitting anywhere near you. You, you can't do that. I mean, you've got to make sure you don't sit close to them because it's just... Not a good thing. And you're trying to hang in there at gospel light, but it's getting tough. In fact, you've looked at a few other churches because, man, I just, I don't want to forgive them. Maybe it's a spouse. Someone you've lived with for a while, and, but you know, it's just, it's, it's gotten tough. It just, things have not gone well for now years. And, and, and nobody's talking about it. It's just getting worse. It's boiling over. It's just, maybe it's a parent. A parent who has just offended you and they, they, they yell at you. They, they, they just have, have discouraged you and they've beaten you down. Maybe it's a child. A child who just has not listened and, and they've not obeyed and, 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 and now they've run away. Or, or maybe it's someone else. I just know this. I know this for sure. That there's a lot of stuff happening in this room right now. I just know that. And maybe it's because I'm privy to things as the senior pastor. Maybe it's because I have conversations. I, I get emails or text messages for prayer requests. Or, or, or maybe it's just counseling. I, I, I'm just saying a blanket statement about you and me on the platform, in the balcony, on the main floor. There's stuff going on. Difficult things. And forgiveness is the indispensable quality that everybody in this room needs. It's absolutely impossible not to have this and to live a productive Christian life. And and unforgiveness affects how we treat people. There's a couple of ways I'd like to suggest to you that unforgiveness affects how you treat others. One of the ways that it affects is this, that we withdraw from people when we don't forgive them. We withdraw. We withhold things. Sometimes in a marriage, a spouse will withhold sex from a a partner because, and, and I mean... Being a pastor for a long time, I've, I've seen it a week, a month, sometimes years. Just, just not going to do that. I'm going to withhold that. I just, no way. Sometimes we withhold affection or warmth. I can't show warmth to that person. I can't shake their hand. I'm not going to greet him at church. That's why I can't be on the first impressions team. Because what if they walk through my door? I can't, I can't fake it. I just I don't like them. And we withhold that. We withhold attention. That, my friends, is unforgiveness. Maybe, maybe it's not that we withhold things. Maybe one of the ways it affects is, is by giving things. You say, by giving what? Well, by giving those looks. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, the looks that just kind of kill from all the way across the room or across the hallway or across the bedroom. Those looks. Or maybe it's those mean words or those demeaning actions. And church, what is the outcome of this? The outcome of this is clearly outlined in Scripture, verse 31, as damaging emotions. And that's my second thought, and that is this, that unforgiveness produces damaging emotions. Scripture says bitterness, wrath, Anger, clamor, and slander, and malice, these damaging emotions. I can't overemphasize to you the damage that you do to your own soul through unforgiveness. There's no way to overemphasize it. There's no way to spend a long enough time begging you to understand that unforgiveness is damaging to your life and you will never be what you could be for God harboring these things in your life. It's impossible. And Scripture lists very specifically six things. Number one, bitterness. And I think it's mentioned first because it is the catch basin of the other five. So we'll spend a a tad bit more time on it. Bitterness. It's acid in the heart. It's the scowl on the face. It's venom in our words. Aristotle said it like this. He said, bitterness is the resentful spirit which refuses reconciliation. Nothing you can say will change the way I feel. Nothing. Ever. 
refuses. That's bitterness. You see, bitterness is, is the umpire of life. It's, it's that person who has the clicker, you know, and they're always measuring things and constantly measuring things. And they have that clicker and you do them wrong and strike one. Okay, so you are nice the next day. We'll, we'll give you a ball. Strike two. And then finally it's strike three and you're out. I mean, you're out of my life. You're out forever. I'm moving on. The umpire. Someone has said it like this. Bitterness are the results of the removal of, or rather the, the record of wrong written on your hearts. Bitterness. It is, it is the, the record of wrong written on your hearts never to be erased. Question. Are you bitter? Are you bitter? Bitterness is lemon, or rather what a a lemon is to your mouth, bitterness is to your spirit. Bitterness. Is there someone in this world that could walk into this auditorium and sit next to you and make your skin crawl? Is there someone? One person. Maybe more. Someone you're not prepared to see. Someone you're not prepared to face Because of what you're holding on to. Because of something they've said. Because of something they've done. And I'm just not prepared to see it. Bitterness. Damaging. And then the Bible builds on that and says, then there's this thing called wrath. This damaging emotion of wrath. It's this deeply settled indignation, constant anger, burning. It's a furnace in my heart. And sometimes I'm able to keep it from my showing up on my face, but I walk around with this anger all day long. I mean, all day long. I mean, it's in me. I I sometimes don't even recognize it, but, but all of a sudden what happens is my wrath erupts. And that's why the next word is bitterness, wrath, anger, because anger is wrath that erupts. This is when I just blow a gasket. This is the fist through the wall, the cuss word. This is when I push somebody. I mean, I can't control it. I just lost, blew a gasket because the fact of the matter is I've unforgiveness in my heart. And it shows up sometimes in sudden burst of anger where I just blow it. And it often becomes violent as I've experienced as a pastor. And then the Bible speaks about this interesting word called clamor. Sometimes we would look at this word and say, what's that got to do with damaging emotions? But clamor is the noise of relational strife. This is when we really don't care who hears what we have to say. In fact, we're screaming and yelling and throwing things and cussing. Our kids can hear it. Our friends can hear it. The people in the office can hear it. We've closed the door, but I mean, we're just pots and pans clanging in the kitchen, yelling clamor, tight lips, quenched fist. And then there's slander. This is the depth of evil speaking. This becomes something where we intend to injure someone. This is the cold and calculated. This is the ready, aim, fire, gossip, speak, slander. Hurt someone. Intentionally wound them because they hurt you. You hurt them. And then malice. I mean, it's all here. It's just a list of damaging emotions. Malice. He finishes with malice, meaning this is the capacity. The person who has been bitter for so long, they now have the capacity to locate wrong in anybody's life. Just ask them. They're always going to find the wrong. Malice is intentional. Malice says, I have every right to feel this way, period. And the root of all of this damaging emotions is unforgiveness. At the root of all of this is unforgiveness. An injury received or perceived that's never been resolved. A collection of hurts that you've held on to. All the while the Bible says, keep no record of wrong. But bitterness does. Bitterness does. Bitterness is not about... Setting aside the wrongs, bitterness is about remembering all of them. Click, 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 click. Oh, I'm keeping record. And I'll never forget. 
Do you have any comprehension of the price that we pay to not forgive? I mean, we, we walk around with all this baggage. I mean, sometimes it, it could be years and years that we just walk around with, with baggage. And, and, and we're, we're hanging on to these things. I mean, you know, we're just going to hang on. It's not comfortable. It's not easy. Sorry. It's not, oh, that was bad. Whoever's phone that was, I need you to forgive me. I haven't looked at the screen yet. I have insurance, okay. So I walk around with all this baggage. And I mean, it's kind of awkward and it's tough. And, and it, 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 it's, it's anger, it's wrath, it's malice, it's all of those things. And it's not easy to live this way, but I ain't letting go of this stuff. because. And then all of a sudden, we just decide to forgive. I don't know that I understand it all, but I know I need God's help to do it. And so I... I start just saying, you know what, I think I'll just release that person. I'm going to release them. You're forgiven. God forgave me, I'm forgiving you. Praise God. <laughs> no forgiveness needed. <laughs> I, I'm just, man, it's a lot easier to preach this way. I'm feeling a lot better. Carrying all that baggage of unforgiveness is, it's tough. I mean, when you can't look at certain areas of the church or can't look at certain people and preach with liberty, I mean, it's difficult. Can I say this this morning? You cannot afford to pay the price of unforgiveness. No one can. It costs too much. What is the cost of unforgiveness? Number one, lost intimacy with God. We don't want to spend time with God when we don't want to hear what he has to say. Because I can assure you, when you spend time with God, here's what he is going to say to you. He's going to say, Sam, forgive Bill. Don't forget, you got to forgive Bill. Now, God, I've told you for the last 10 years, I ain't forgiven Bill. Now, you and I got that understanding. I mean, I'm good. I love you and everything. And I like a little Bible reading, but I ain't forgiven Bill. But can I tell you what God's going to tell you the next time you spend time with him? Forgive Bill. And eventually, why would you want to spend any time with God when he's just going to tell you to forgive Bill? And so we lose intimacy with God because we don't want to hear what God has to say. I don't want to go to church. I don't want to open my Bible. I don't want to pray. I'm afraid that I'm just going to keep hearing what I've already told God I ain't doing. Secondly, we fall out in other relationships. We think for some reason that the only relationship, you know, hey, I'm just one person. It's all good. But it's never just one person. You see, the, the person who is bitter and has wrath and anger and unforgiveness is building a wall in his life, and he's, he's even not realizing it, separating him, himself from other people, hurting those around him. An argument with a husband and a wife affects the children. Unforgiveness in a marriage affects children for a long time. It affects those we work with. I mean, there are many other relationships because of resentment towards someone that spills over into the way that we treat other people. I'm not letting anyone get away with that in my life. And so, guess what? No one's going to get close to me. I don't let anyone get close to me since this, period. It's not happening. It affects other relationships. Number three, Lost time. Unforgiveness is a waiting game. It is. You know what? I'm waiting for them to come back and tell me they're sorry, and then I'll forgive them. As soon as they come back. I mean, as, as long as they come back and find me, I'm just going to wait. In fact, I hope they come crawling back. And I'm not forgiving them until they come crawling back. Newsflash, they're not coming back. They don't come back. They very rarely ever come back. It's probably not going to happen. You're wasting time. In fact, they haven't even thought about you lately. They're at the amusement park having a great time with their family while you're miserable. Wasting your time waiting for them to crawl back and say they're sorry. Unforgiveness also causes stunted growth. We just stop growing. In fact, it saddens me as a pastor sometimes to see believers that have been saved for a very long time that are still struggling with kindergarten problems. We've been saved for 10, 20, 30, 40 years, and, and, and we're still struggling with the same old thing we struggled with 40 years ago after 21 sermons. 
We're really good at hearing, but we're not too good at doing. We'll address that in the very last message as we put all this together. Because that's really where, oftentimes, what it boils down to. If we just hear the Word of God, there's going to be no growth until we do the Word of God. And so we find so many Christians are stunted in their growth many times because of unforgiveness. And then number five, we've already mentioned it, but we'll put it in this list, damaging emotions. The list of things that I gave. This is just some of the cost of unforgiveness. This is the acid that is on your spirit. This is the unforgiveness that is in your soul. Now you say, Pastor, I don't want to feel this way. Okay, enough is enough. I get it. Okay. To be honest with you, I, if you know me at all, you, you, you know I always can't wait till the bad news is over. I got it out. That's the bad news. Are you ready for the good news? All for the good news, say amen. All right, you just went like, that was tough. I was about to have to walk out of here. <laughs> Stay. Forgive me. <laughs> Here's the good news. Ephesians 4.31, look at it. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you. How do I do that? How do I put that away? Well, look at it. It, it says, notice how the text turns. It goes from this like, oh, ooh, uh, 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 oh, to, and be kind. One to another. It's like, whoa, that was like a too fast a switch, a switch there. I mean, that's like turn the switch off, turn the other switch on. Exactly. That's how it works. Be kind to one another. Tender-hearted. Forgiving one another. As God in Christ forgave you. You have to put something in the place of unforgiveness. You have to put something away. Damaging emotion must be replaced by forgiveness, and forgiveness takes time. Number three, there is a process and a crisis. This is the key. There's a, there's a, there's a process, and there is a crisis. And when I fail in the process, I must return to the crisis. The crisis is the fact that you have, that should be the next screen, by the way, you have in the crisis, you have a moment. A moment where you were hurt. And you can go back to that moment. My wife and I have learned some things about this. Come on up here, Caroline. I'm going to interview her for about five minutes. She actually told me when I asked her to do this, could you interview me instead of actually having me speak? Because I could say so much stuff. And I know, I know how you feel about women preachers. So. All right. No, I'm just kidding. No, it's true. It's, okay, good. I can accept that. You, you forgive me? Okay. I forgive and, uh, you. I've learned. So, honey, <laughs> let's talk about this, this process and this crisis. So here's the deal. We've learned that in our lives, in our marriage, mm-hmm. after 32 years, there's been a lot of crisis. I mean, I've given you a lot of reasons to have to forgive me. You've given me things that I've had to yeah. forgive you. Small and large. One of the small ones just happened recently um, where, and we talked about the first service. You're going out of town. No, that was way back. That was a big one. The small one. The clutter one? Huh? The clutter one? Yes. Let's do that one. So, So I come home. I come home out of nowhere and I just say, honey, we got to do something about the clutter. You know, talk about that. So a little crisis. So immediately I say, oh, clutter? You want me to clean up clutter? I've been doing this all week. Blah, 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 blah. And you come home and tell me you want me to pick up the clutter. Well, I could have just said, okay. But instead, I got mad. And the minute I got mad, I thought, okay, why am I mad? Why am I mad that he said that to me? He wasn't mean. He was very nice. He said, honey, when you get time, because I've told him to say that. Here's the beautiful thing. Wait, oh, you brought yeah. it back up. Yeah, I did. I brought it back up. I so said, that's the lesson. So, the, yeah, okay. so we had the crisis. And I went back to it. We kind of got it right. But, snuggled that night. Oh, yeah, but. And yeah. then a week later, it's like yeah. we're having this conversation. Like, and, you know, like the other day, you come in. You say, what's all the clutter about? Yeah, I didn't that? say it like, Did I say it like that? No, you didn't say it like that. Okay, but I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm old. That's, that's one of the things he always tells me. Preachers say it like have that? to exaggerate to make their points. Okay. Yeah. All right. Okay. I have to say, one of the things is I didn't realize I was being offended or hurt by right. you, that I had to forgive you for so long, all these years, actually, for 32 years. And so someone talked, I mean, God's been speaking, and when now I get upset, when I get frustrated, angry, all those things that you said that I do, 
I stop and say, why am I like that? Why am I doing that? And it usually is an offense I've had toward him. And I have to think back where it went, what the crisis was. And sometimes it's been 25 years. So we go back the to the crisis yeah. and we talk. And sometimes she'll say in the conversation, honey, mm-hmm. so I forgive you again. No, it, that's good though. And we start over. Yeah. But no, and then sometimes it goes way, way back. Like, for instance, the yeah. deal with I left town the other day. Yes. Yeah. And to go mm-hmm. on the basketball tournament, which, you know, with both Zoe and, and Mo, and I, I, I told you weeks in advance, but it was hard on you. Tell him why. Because before um, he would leave when the kids were small, um, actually the two, actually, and they, he would leave and be gone a lot. I used to have this and travel. awful sin of neglecting my family. I would leave Monday mornings. I would come back. If you've been here a long time, you know this. I'd come back Wednesdays, go to church, preach. Leave, and all my flights left at 6.30, so that's leave the house at 4, get to the airport an hour, hour and a half early. And I would come home Saturday, spend Sunday with my family, leave Monday morning. This went on 50 of 52 weeks a year until finally God convicted me. I got, I got things straight. I got off the road. I got back home. I, I, I changed my whole life. But it, it destroyed. It, it hurt my family. That destroyed it, but it hurt it bad. And I had to seek forgiveness from you. And then I leave the other day and tell them. And so he left the other day, and I got mad. Again, I got mad. And I'm like, why am I mad at him? And he goes, yeah, what, where'd that come from? And I said, you know, pray for me. I don't even know where that came from. So he prayed, and within moments, I realized it was because I hadn't forgiven him for the 25 years ago. Literally, that's what I'm saying. I'm realizing that we don't realize that we hold unforgiveness and offense toward people from years and the people we're closest to, we have more offenses that we haven't forgiven. So I stop and I just say, God, I choose to forgive. And he may not even know I've forgiven him. When I say I forgive you again, sometimes I have to just do it in my home, in my heart. And so God's teaching me a lot. I'm still learning lots, lots to learn. And the same thing on this end. Same thing. There are things my wife constantly reminds me. She'll say, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. Why did you say that? And I said, well, I just it's came joking. out. I'm just, it was just, yeah, or I'm joking. She goes, no, no, you weren't joking. I came from somewhere. Have I offended you? And we talk it out and mm-hmm. come to find out, yeah, yeah, you, you, I guess you have. And I said that because it I have unforgiveness. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Are you with me? I want you to understand this statement. There's a process and a crisis. This is how you solve your unforgiveness. Mm-hmm. You, you sometimes have to go back to the crisis and start the process over again. Because for a relationship to last for a long time, it will require many major forgivenesses, or a few major forgivenesses, and many, many, many thousands of minor forgivenesses. Every day. Every day. We've been married for thousands of days, and she has forgiven. Give me a kiss. Oh. All right. And, uh, yeah. And by the way, just good news for you. We did snuggle last night also, so that's good. Good, good for the message. So what do I do in those crises? What do I do in the crisis? The moment it happens, it comes up, Caroline, it comes up in the crisis. He's leaving me. What do I do? I get on my knees and I name the person. In that case, I'll just put me on the, under the bus for a second because that's the easiest thing to do. <laughs> Lord, I'm struggling. Eric is going to be gone for five days and... I'm remembering when he was gone years ago all the time. And God, I need you to help me. Name the pain. Those days were tough. I never said anything. I should have. I held it. I harbored it. But I never said anything, God. It was so hurtful. And I feel that pain again, God. I'm remembering the bitterness, the the anger that I would have when I'd have to discipline the kids when he should have been there. and, And she's right. Name the person, name the pain, and then name the plan. What's the plan? Every time, go to the foot of the cross. Go to the foot of the cross and look at Jesus and his forgiveness for you and see the blood as it flows from that cross to wash your sins away as, it, as, you, as you begin to be loved and lavishly loved by the creator who died for your sins, you begin to realize that I can also forgive my husband. I can forgive that friend. I can forgive my pastor, my member. We can forgive one another because of how God forgave us. Name the person, name the pain, name the plan. But it's not that easy, is it? 
There's so many complexities to forgiveness. In fact, sometimes I think these messages, and, and, and I'm trying to finish the message, to be honest, these messages uh, are, are, have so much to them, and I, I condense them, and so I'm going to start condensing right now to get to the end, but I don't want to leave this part off, and I'll do it quickly, and that is this, that the complexities of forgiveness oftentimes involve, when do I forgive? Because, you know, if, if I just go to that person and say, I forgive you, then maybe they're going to think they can just do it again, and it's okay. But there's a difference. There's two parts to forgiveness. There's the part between you and God, and there's the part between you and the other person, and, and, and they're dealt with differently. In fact, we find 95% of all scriptures about forgiveness in the Bible call for unqualified, unilateral, immediate forgiveness of all offenses. 95%. In fact, can I read you a few verses and you'll find this unqualified, unilateral, immediate forgiveness. Listen to a few. First of all, Matthew 6, 12. And forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. Matthew 6, 14. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Wow. If you believe your Bible word for word, that's something to think about and meditate upon. Matthew 6, 15, but if you do not forgive their trespasses, then neither will your Father forgive yours. Matthew 18, 21, then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and and I forgive him? I've got a suggestion, Lord. How about seven times? I like seven. Perfect number. On eight, I'll punch him in the face. But seven, that's a lot, God. I mean, I'm struggling at four or five, but I'm willing to go to seven, God. You okay with that? Jesus says, uh-uh, I, I, I don't say seven times. How about 70 times seven times? And we're just getting started. Mark eleven twenty five. and whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. Mark eleven twenty six. but if you do not forgive, neither will your Father who is in heaven forgive your... T- hey, look, I'm going to tell you right now, 95% of all passages that you find in the Scriptures about forgiveness call for unilateral, unqualified, immediate forgiveness of all offenses, but that's between you and God. We need to make sure that all of our forgiveness is, 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 is placed at the foot of the cross. That between God and between us, we have forgiven everyone of everything in our hearts. So, so when do I communicate forgiveness then? Well, that's different. In fact, it's interesting. There's one little scripture tucked away in the book of Luke chapter 17 and verse number 3. And it says this. Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him, and, big word, if he repents, forgive him. So again, most passages call for this unilateral total forgiveness, and then there's this one passage that says you forgive everyone totally and immediately with God's help, but you never communicate forgiveness to the person until they repent. Sometimes I think we can cheapen sin when we just forgive someone before they've repented and they think, well, I can just do it again. That was easy. You say, well, wait a minute, Pastor. You're telling us to be kind in all of this. I mean, if we're kind to them, won't they think we've forgiven them? And we have forgiven them. But when we're kind to them, the Scripture says we heap coals of fire on their head. And our kindness to them Yes, shows them we've forgiven them, but brings them to repentance. And so I'm simply saying, church, that there's much more we could say about forgiveness and how to forgive and when to forgive. Yes, there's complexities to forgiveness. I get that. If I opened it up for questions today, there would be thousands of questions, I'm sure, and I understand that. But I'm simply trying to provide you today with enough information for you to get to place that you understand that I can't afford to not forgive. And so how will I know when I've forgiven? Well, here's how you can know when you've forgiven. Are you ready? It's all in the text. Ephesians 4.32. Number one, you know you have forgiven when you can be kind. Isn't that what it says? Be kind to one another. Kindness is a fruit of forgiveness. I know I have forgiven when I have the freedom to give my best without reservation. 
When I can walk up to you and say, how are you doing? And someone across the, man, look how nice he's being. You know, do you know what he did to her or she did to him? I'm not thinking any of that. I'm, I, that's, I've released you. It's forgiven. It's over. And so I can treat you with kindness without any reservation. When you can't show kindness to someone, you have a lot of work to do with unforgiveness. Kindness is a fruit of forgiveness. And when you fail in the process, return to the crisis. Number two, tenderheartedness is a fruit of forgiveness. Literally, you know what tenderheartedness is? It means readiness to feel the pain of another. And I, I know that I've forgiven someone when I can actually show compassion to that person. Even though they've done me wrong, it's forgiven. So I, I, I want to enter into their world. I want to actually sympathize with them and say, you know what? And Caroline can tell you this. This is kind of how I've operated as, as a pastor and, and kept a good spirit. Is I'm always giving people the benefit of the doubt. It's just, it's okay. Like when we transitioned our church and I received all those emails and letters and people, you know, man, if we don't have church on Sunday night, preacher, I'm leaving. My daddy would roll over in his grave if he found out we weren't having church. If, if you don't use the King James Bible, I'm telling you, my great aunt who died 20 years ago will come back and, I'll, you know, I mean, you know what I said to all of that? I mean, I was calling, you're a heretic preacher. I'm like, I get it. It, it is hard. I get it. I understand. These are hard things. I know you're not liking what I'm doing, and I'm so sorry. I apologize that it's offending you. I get it. I think I might feel the same way. If you've had a pastor that's led you this way for 10 years, and then for the last five years, he's transitioning away from some of the things that he found out were unbiblical, I think I'd be confused too. Instead of fighting back and getting on Facebook or returning the email with venom, I just said, I get it. I understand. I know we're not the church for everyone. I don't want you to feel like, now, would it have been better if they could have forgiven? Probably so. But I'm simply saying, at the end of the day, I, I honestly feel as if we need to be tenderhearted to people when they're angry with us. If we have forgiven them and they haven't forgiven us, can we give them a little slack and maybe give them some time and understand that, you know, maybe I haven't walked in their shoes. Be tenderhearted. Be compassionate. When you forgive someone, you can actually come to the place where you feel that way. And it's awesome. And then thirdly, Christ is our model and motivation for forgiveness. Ephesians 4.32 again says this. It says, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Jesus modeled forgiveness. Forgive just as freely as Christ forgave you. On that cross, what did Jesus say? Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Scripture says in our text, be imitators of God as beloved children. Walk in love as Christ loved us. Just like Jesus loved us. May we love others just like Jesus gave himself up for us. Let's love like that. Because that, my friends, is a fragrant offering and sacrifice. It's hard. It's a sacrifice. But man, God loves it. He loves it. So here is the conviction about forgiveness in closing. Last week, conviction about speech. I will not excuse my speech when it grieves the Holy Spirit. Today, conviction. There are no enduring relationships without forgiveness. None. None. No relationship will endure unless it learns to forgive. Life, church, life has no lasting relationships without forgiveness. And can I tell you in my humble opinion what the best thing about life is? One of the best things about life is knowing people. I love knowing people. The more I get to know people, the closer I get to people. Listen, it's great to meet you. It's great to, to know you. But it's better not just to meet you, and it's better not just to know you, but the best thing is to know you for a long time. 32 years. Wow. 28 years. I love it. And if we've only known each other for six months, I can't wait till the next six months. And if we just met this morning, I hope we can build a relationship. Because nothing, nothing is better than knowing someone. You know, as I think about that, I want to just, I want to come off this platform 
And I want to just tell you, Darian Sims, sitting on the second row, is special to me because how long have you been a member of this church? 20 years. Because he's your firstborn. So you, you, you probably had any kids when you, when you came here. Did you have all three? Okay. So you've been here how many years, Marlene? 20? 20 years, Darian. And I'm sure you've had to forgive me a few times. I'm sure I dropped the ball as pastor. I'm sure I've said things that you're like, whoa, that was a little bit harsh. But Darian, the other day, when you sat at Tiffany, it was amazing. You and I sat at the table and talked for an hour. I'm so proud of you, man. I love you with all of my heart. The fact that what you're doing for your family, for God, the accomplishments of being an RN in a COVID world. Dude, you're the man. I, I have such great respect for you. And you made me feel like that you were like thankful I was your pastor. And we talked about hard times. We talked about brutal things that have happened in our lives together. But we're still together. 20 years. Jake, I haven't known you for 20 years. I've only known you for like six months. But Jake, I'm learning to love you like a brother. Yesterday, we worked for three hours together. You and I. We labored together. We, we had a cause, a vision for something. And we got down. You got down literally on your knees and worked. And I was cheering you on. And... um. It's a truth too. And it's great to have young guys in your life, you know. But no, we had a great time. And 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 I just want to tell you, Jake, you're not perfect and I'm not perfect. But I hope that we can stand the test of time by forgiving one another. Because I'm really looking forward to not just six years, but sixty years. Ooh. I am now one hundred and fifteen years old. Raz. Man, you have become we're in small group together. Because I'm old now. Okay. Raz is old. I'm old. We go to old small group. Amen. <laughs> this guy right here, I'm going to tell you, just to know Raz is to love Raz. We sit in that discipleship group, Esther, and I see how you look at him. You look at him just like you're looking at me right now. Look at him like that. All right. she, she smiles and looks. And you, I just like, I hope my wife smiles and looks at me like that when I'm 72, 76. 76. Raz, we've known each other for a lot of years. We've been through ups and downs. We've sat together and talked about a lot of things because it was hard, especially for older folks in our church to adjust to this new worship. This was difficult. And Raz and I had a lot of conversations. And I remember I felt bad. I was like, man, it really, I almost felt like it wasn't fair to make these changes. And and, and, and folks that weren't used to the noise and the sounds and the lights. And I was having people put a lot of pressure on me. And I'm thinking, but, you know, we got some older folks and they really are good people and they're struggling with this. And, but we talked it through hours and hours and hours and hours and hours. I say, I'm exaggerating to make a point. I'm sorry. Probably four or five hours, you know, through, through a few months. And here Raz sits today. He's probably had to say, oh, I forgive my pastor. I mean, those lights are blinding me and the noise sometimes. I have to bring my, my ears plugged. But you know what? I ain't leaving. I'm sticking with this sucker. I love him. He's my man. He's my pastor. And I'm, I'm glad you have. I hadn't been the easiest guy to live with. Thanks for loving me through it all. And I could just keep going. I, yeah, go kiss your wife now. Yeah. Oh, look at that. Hey, that's long enough. Anyway, and I look at the popes here. Since almost day one, I married you guys. I was a little kid. How old are you guys? Oh, Richard, how old are you? Sorry. You're 54. I'm 56. So I was two years older than you when I married y'all at the Church of God. I loved it. And here you are, all these years, you've been with me. You know all the dirt. You know all the struggle. You've heard it all. But Sharon, can I tell it? I know you do. And every time I get, I don't spend a lot of time, but sometimes on Sunday afternoons, I look on Facebook. And every now and then, you'll put, this is why he's my favorite preacher. And I think, that don't happen unless you stay together. Am I making my point? There's no enduring relationships. And, and, and what, what saddens me is this, is that if you can't do that, then off you go. Off you go. New marriage, new church, new relationship. In a few years, well, let's we'll try it again. New marriage, new church, new relationship. We must learn to forgive. We must be convicted. I'm not speaking about your past. Where you're at right now, forgive. Forgive. There's a process. There's a crisis. So let's have a crisis right now. Right now, let's have one. You say, what do you mean, Pastor? I mean, let's have a crisis. Let's have a crisis of unforgiveness. Who is it right now? When we close our eyes, where's the... 
Who is the face that the Holy Spirit's going to say, you need to forgive them? I mean, two weeks ago, if I would have preached this, my wife, it would have been my face. Maybe it'll be your spouse. I mean, two weeks ago, my wife and I were struggling through this. I'm just being honest. We are only married today. Well, I say only. One of the reasons, if not the main reason, is several major forgivenesses and thousands of minor forgivenesses. And so we're still together. And honey, it's going to take a few more. It's going to take a few more. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Conviction. There are no enduring relationships. Who's that person? Who is coming in your mind right now? Church member? Neighbor? Employee? Friend? Church member? Pastor? Assistant pastors? Former pastors? Former? I mean, who is it? Forgive. Take it to the cross. Take it to the foot of the cross where you were forgiven. And let God give you and help you forgive. Because he's the only one that can. You can't do this without him. Father, thank you. God, I pray that you take this moment as we have this crisis. And we return to the process when we leave this building. And begin to build that relationship or work on that situation. God, today, may we experience victory in this area. God, turn our hearts towards the cross. And may we remember when we embraced the the, the cross and felt your love in a way that changed us forever. When we experienced forgiveness of all of our sins. And God, while I'm on that, if there's anyone here today, anyone in this building who has never experienced the forgiveness and the grace of God in this building right now for their sins, God, may today be the day they come to a place where they accept your gift of salvation and begin to learn how they can forgive others with your help. God, please do that for someone today. I pray that you take over in this moment as we respond in worship to this message. In Jesus' name, amen. Shall we stand?